the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The title of the message this morning is An Honorable Heart, the Foundation of True Faith. And our text is taken from Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. Let me read this to you from the New International Version. Verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus said to the centurion, then Jesus said to the centurion rather, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. An honorable heart, the foundation of true faith. Please don't throw off, be thrown off by the word foundation. Sometimes people think, why do we need another sermon on understanding what true faith is? Why can't we move on? Why do you preachers keep on establishing these foundational truths like prayer and grace and, you know, issues of baptism and praises and worship? Listen, loved ones, don't be thrown off by that because the deepest work that the Holy Spirit does in every person's heart is the deep work of those foundational truths. The deepest kind of work that God is doing has to do with the foundational tenets of our faith. Okay? So we must revisit these truths often, and we must be clear about what it means to have that strong foundational understanding of truth. Without the foundational truths, our lives will crumble. Just like Jesus said, you know, you have to build your house upon a rock. Because if you don't build your house, if you don't build your life on the foundations of truth, of this basic truth, you are like a builder who built his house upon a sand. So today, we will go back to the subject of faith and discover once again, or rediscover for that matter, what true faith looks like. And to do that, we come to a very powerful story early in the ministry of Jesus found in the gospel. 
and it deals primarily what what it means to receive the word of faith. Okay, as you know, there's so much uh, confusion and so much distortions about what constitute true biblical faith. You know, a lot of people have a lot of mystical ideas. A lot of people have different understanding of what it means to truly hear the word and have faith in what Jesus said. True word of faith. It's a lot of confusion. So many people think that there's so much, uh, they put so much emphasis, rather, on uh, that th 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 faith is somehow something we create within ourselves. Uh, there are people who think uh, in, a, in a very mystical way about what faith is. I'm, I even hear people say, you know, it's whatever you say, you know, that, that's, that's your faith, as if we have power to create things with our words. And that's kind of a very dangerous thing to go into because it's very mystical. It may be mystical, but it's not biblical. Having true faith has nothing to do with the creativity of what we say. It has everything to do with whether our heart is honorable or not. Jesus says, from the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. And if our hearts truly have honor, an, we truly have an honorable heart, let me tell you, it will bring about the true power of what it means to hold on to that word of faith. What is an honorable heart? An honorable heart I is one that honors God for who he is and what he has already done. Now, I want to say that again because, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we, we think that, hey, you know, I, I don't need to know anything to be able to put my faith in God. But that simply isn't true. An honorable heart, a heart that understands the word of faith is a heart that knows who God is and what he has already done. Okay? Honor comes one way. It only comes one way. It comes through a humble spirit, a humble heart, okay? Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, uh, 5 to 11, he says, your attitude or your heart must be the same as that of Jesus. You must have a humble heart like Jesus who though he is in very nature God, did not consider being God something to be grasped. But he served God. He humbled himself and became a servant, even dying on the cross. And so that's why God has exalted him and has given him above every name. You know, Jesus received glory and honor not for simply the things that he did, but because of the attitude of his heart. He knew that he was God, and yet he did not consider it something to just be proud of or something to just be taken lightly. But he humbled himself and took on the form of a servant. And Paul says in the scriptures, we have to have the same attitude. Now, that, that, that's good theology. To have the mind of Christ is to have an honorable heart. A heart that honors God for who he is and what he has already done. So the whole uh, context 
at play in this story has to do with that honorable heart that this centurion demonstrated to Jesus. But before I go into the points of the sermon, looking at what it means uh, uh, to have that true faith, let me give you the context of why this story is in the Bible. Okay, We have to look at the big picture of why the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, it's Matthew, why did he put his this story, this specific story, in his gospel, okay? Now, the central theme, I want you to catch this, you, 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 don't, you don't have to really be, you know, uh, a biblical scholar to know this, okay? So I want you to at least make a mental note of this. The central theme of the gospel of Matthew is that the Messiah came to his chosen people, the people of Israel, for the purpose of having his redemptive plan accomplished through them. But the establishment nation, the nation itself, rejected the message of Jesus. Okay? So I want you to think about that. Otherwise, the story will not make any sense to you. Okay? You can read this story over and over again and, and talk about the fate of the centurion. But if you don't understand why this story is in there, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's bound to just pass you by. So the message of the central message of the Gospel of Matthew is this. God sent the Messiah, Jesus, so that through the nation of Israel, redemption can come to the world. Okay? But the establishment nation, not all the people, but the establishment itself, rejected the message of Jesus. So God turned his attention to the rest of the world. Not that he didn't have that planned already, but that he had to set aside that deal, that covenant with Israel, and he looked towards the Gentiles. He looked toward the rest of the world. Not that he doesn't care about his covenant with his people, but he's going to set them aside, and later on he's going to deal with them. But the coming of Jesus proves to be too much for the establishment nation, and they rejected him. Okay? One day God is going to deal with that nation. But as Jesus came, he focused his attention on the entire world. That's why the scripture says, the text that we read, he called everybody from all over the world, of every nation of men, to come so that they may be part of the kingdom of God. And uh, they rejected the Messiah sent by God. So God turned his focus to everyone who will put their faith in him in humble trust. Again, let me repeat, it doesn't mean God rejected the nation he chose. It simply means that he will deal with them later because they missed their hour of visitation. You know, when Jesus came to Jerusalem, he cried because he looked at the people, he looked at the nation, and they missed it. And Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how these other nations would have repented when they saw me. But you missed your hour of visitation. You missed your hour of salvation. And so Jesus focused his attention to those, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, who will humbly accept the message that he sent to them, the message of the gospel, the message of the cross. Now, if you look at it from that uh, frame of thinking, then this story will make sense to you. Israel as a nation did not put their faith in the word of Christ. Instead, they insisted on 
the tradition of the prophets and the law and downright rejected the message of the word of Christ. So now, as we read the story again, we see it clearly in its proper context. And that's why the author put this story in there. Now, let's set up the scene on how this happened. Okay, there was a centurion. Jesus entered Capernaum and he encountered this centurion. Now, this centurion is a Roman army officer. He was not an Israelite. He was a Roman soldier. And he came to Jesus on behalf of his servant who was sick. And, and, and he came to Jesus and he, he said, Lord, help me. My servant is sick. And Jesus actually asked him a question. Shall I come to your house and heal your servant? Some translation, just Jesus simply said, I will go to your house and I will heal your servant. And listen to, the, to what the centurion said about this. He looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, I do not deserve for you to come to my house. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Okay? I do not deserve for you to come to my house. What does it tell us about this centurion? That he's got a humble heart. That he has an honorable heart. Okay? He didn't think that he is worthy even of the presence of Jesus. And when he responded that way, Jesus said, wow. I have never seen this kind of faith anywhere in all of Israel. Okay? Why? Because Israel rejected his message. But this Gentile, this centurion, clearly humbled his heart and says, I don't deserve this, but just say the word. Okay? Now, to those who originally heard uh, this encounter... And to us today, we can learn about what true faith really looks like. How it looked like to the original audience and how it should look like for us today. You see, back during the time of Jesus, the people that Jesus was ministering to, they believed in the, the, the saying that says, action speaks louder than words. How many of you have heard that statement? It's a very common statement. That's what they believed back then in the time of Jesus, and that's what so many people still believe today. But true faith is the other way around. Words speaks louder than action. Okay? I want you to remember that. Because Jesus was imparting his word. Okay? And to this centurion, his word is enough. Jesus doesn't have to go to his house. First of all, he doesn't deserve for somebody as, as, as honorable and as exalted and as glorious as Jesus to come to his little tiny house. And so we see right away that words, when it comes to faith, speaks louder than action. So, the immediate meaning for us today is that the Word of Christ is all-encompassing. It's all-powerful. So, the immediate meaning is the Roman soldier demonstrated the true faith comes 
from hearing the word of Christ. And we know that from the book of Romans, right? Faith comes from and hearing the word of Christ. Okay, so now it's making sense. Okay, now, how do we understand that and how does it apply to us today? Now, there are, there are three ways that this Roman centurion shows that the, the true faith that comes from hearing uh, the words of Christ. Okay? First of all, I mean, if you're taking notes, in true understanding of the word of Christ, the true word of faith, it's our worship that moves Jesus to acknowledge our faith. Let me say that again. This is how we know for ourselves that we have the true word of faith, faith in the word of Christ. It's our worship that moves Jesus to acknowledge our faith. Look at verse 5 again. The centurion said to Jesus, Lord, help me. My servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come to heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now, what is worship? Worship is ascribing glory and honor and praise on the basis of what we already know. Okay, that's what worship is. Ascribing worth. In this case, what we have done here this morning is that we have ascribed glory and honor and praise in the name of Jesus on the basis of what we already know about him. I hope you didn't come this morning and sang these songs, okay, and offer these praises to someone whom you didn't know what they did. Amen? So you know you're worshiping accurately. You know that you're expressing this true word of faith in Christ because you're praising him for what you and I already know he has already done. Okay, that might be something that... Oh, I know that before, but let that sink in for a moment. Because a lot of people really don't get that. Okay, because they're caught up in, in some of this mystical understanding of what it means to worship God in true faith. You have praised the name of Jesus because you know in your heart exactly what he has already done for you. And if you don't know that, see me after the service. We're going to get you saved. Amen. All right. You don't say I love you to someone. Okay. Let's say a favorite singer. We all have our favorite singers here, right? Or a favorite artist or a favorite actor. You and I don't ever say, oh, I love uh, name your singer. And then somebody asks you, okay, what songs do you like? Well, let me see. That doesn't work. Why do you ascribe love? Why do we ascribe honor? Why do we ascribe glory and praise to someone unless we know what they have done? Unless we know them? Unless we have, been, we have experienced for ourselves what that person has accomplished? Now, let's take a look at this centurion. Make no mistake about this thing, okay? We don't know much about this centurion. Okay, we, we only know a few things. We know that he's a, an officer, so he carries some authority. We know that because he's a centurion. We don't even know whether he's a follower of Jesus or not. We, we don't know that. But we do know 
that this man was humble enough to acknowledge who Jesus is. He knew what Jesus can do. And that's why he humbled his heart. He showed honor by humbling himself and trusting Jesus. We do know that he has demonstrated a true heart of worship because he already knew what Jesus could have done. Imagine Jesus offering to you, can I come to your house and heal your servant? How many of you would like Jesus to say that to you? I know I would, but you know what? This man, this centurion, was way ahead of everybody. He said, oh, I don't deserve it. Just say the word, Jesus. I know what you've done. I know what you can do. I know you're the son of God. I know you have this power. I know your power is higher than mine. So you don't even have to come. Just say the word. And it will happen. Okay? So we know that on the basis of what Jesus already done, this centurion demonstrated true faith. He said to Jesus, in essence, I don't need more proof. I don't need more evidence. I don't need more convincing. Just say the word, and I know. I know in my heart that this will happen. You know what that's called? It's called waiting on the Lord. You know, the Bible speaks about waiting on the Lord. Now, waiting on the Lord is another way of saying honoring the Lord. Okay? When I say waiting on the Lord, I don't mean, you know, you, you, you twiddle your thumbs and you look at your watch waiting for something to happen or waiting for someone to come. That's not what the, the biblical concept of waiting is. Waiting is about honoring someone because we already know who they are and what they have done. So when the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. It's not talking about waiting, sitting idle, waiting for God to do something. That's not what it means. What it means is this, those who honor the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who have an honorable heart, who have humbled their hearts, Trusting that God is who he said he is and, and knowing what God has already done, they will renew their strength. It's true then, it's true now for everybody else today, okay? So this Roman centurion knew how to honor God, how to honor the Lord, okay? That's a true demonstration of faith. A true demonstration of faith in God is always accompanied by a period, a, a sense of honoring the Lord, because honoring the Lord, waiting on the Lord, carries a biblical concept of actively and expectantly hoping, serving, and trusting. You know, it, you, you know that your faith is real. You know that you're really putting your trust and belief in the Lord when you actively and expectantly hoping on Him, you are serving Him, and you are trusting Him. That's what it all means. Without an honorable heart, without a humble heart enough to honor what God has done and who He is, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll crumble because there's no real faith in there. Again, let me repeat, this is a broken record sometimes, you know, sometimes I stumble through a sermon because I need to emphasize some points, right? Faith is ascribing honor to God for who He is and what He has already done because faith doesn't honor or wait for anyone it doesn't know, okay? 
uh, you know, when you interview for a job, no employer will hire you unless they can trust you. And how do they trust you? They vet you. They look for references. They look for your past experiences. Why? Because that's how they will develop trust. The same thing is true with us. You and I can never ever really express our faith in God unless we know who he is and unless we know what he has already done. So what has Jesus already done? Listen very carefully. He already died on the cross for our sin. He already suffered to give us redemption, okay? He was already buried, okay? On the third day, he already rose from the dead, amen? He has already sent the Holy Spirit to abide with us forever, and he already ascended to heaven, and he is now in heaven already seated on his glorious throne of great power, okay? That's the finished work of Jesus that the gospel is talking about. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.